If you guys want to go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20, where we had our reading this morning, that's where we'll start. We won't read uh, the entire, well, nine verses, it's not a long reading, Um, but we won't go through it again, um, but I will be referring back to it. Um, I want to offer a welcome to our visitors, uh, recurring visitors, brand new visitors, Um, thanks for being here. I know it sometimes sounds cliche because you hear it everywhere you go, but it really does encourage us um, to have visitors. It's uh, it's provoking, makes us take another look at what we're doing and make sure we're doing things the way God wants them done. Um, encourages us when we travel to go meet new Christians that we haven't met before. So appreciate it. Thanks for being here. <coughs> I'm gonna start with a a story that and I guess an account of something I witnessed personally um, that made me uneasy. And it has stuck with me for years. This was a long time ago. I don't think you guys know any of the people involved, but I'm not going to use their names anyway. Um, I was in a a conference room a lot larger than this one. Um, It could probably seat 60 or 70 people, had tables, you know, where people had their notes and their pens and notebooks and snacks and drinks and all that stuff. It was a, a week-long thing, right? So you'd come and go, you know, at the end of the day, you'd pack up your stuff and come back and then unpack, and you kind of had your home there, right? You sat there, and that was your spot for the week. Um, and we were on a on a break, so there were only maybe four or five people in the room at the time, and uh, two of the people were a husband and wife, uh, Christians. Uh, and... I'll just I'll just say Joe and Jane, so I don't have to keep saying the husband and the the wife. That just messes me up. That's not their names, but Joe and Jane. So Jane thinks it's a really good idea that there's there's this particular person that likes hot tea in the afternoon. I don't know, maybe they've got an English background or something, but um, she thought, okay, I'm going to go make some hot tea um, for this person, and and brought the tea in, and and Joe says, why, why are you bringing tea in here? And she said, well, because, you know, so-and-so likes to have hot tea, and, you know, this is nice tea. I've had it. I thought, you know, he or she would like it. And it's almost, you know, Joe's kind of over here doing his thing and not really even listening to her response. He's like, we don't need to have tea in here. I mean, it was just kind of, wasn't even almost directed at her. It was just kind of this statement into the air. And I got incensed at that. I thought, man, she's trying to do something nice. For somebody, and he's just kind of off in his own world and dismissively saying, you know, we don't need to bring tea in here. So I had sort of prepared myself to come to her defense, like, you know, as soon as she says something, I'm going to jump in and back her, because he's wrong. Like, he's, and she didn't defend herself. She just took the tea out of the room. And I struggled with that for a long time, thinking, what's going on here? Why don't I like this? Like, why does this bother me so much? But two, like, what is she thinking? Like, what is, what's, what's this deal going on here? Um, like I said, this was years ago. This was a long time ago. Um, and thinking about that one act and that, that account has made me come to appreciate what submission is. Um, I haven't changed my opinion of Joe's attitude. I think 
I think Joe was being dismissive and, you know, uh, unfeeling and it wasn't in the moment thinking about what she was trying to do. But that doesn't really change what she should do, his attitude. Um, I'm not going to go into all the things that I've thought about, but um, I have come to, and I love both of these two people, Joe and Jane. I mean, I know them. I, I don't have a bad thing to say about them, but in that instant, right, it's like he could have done better and she could not have done better, in my opinion. Like, she lived up to what submission is. Um, there's nothing wrong or right about having the tea or not having the tea. But he just kind of says, this is what I want. And she didn't even make a, start to make a defense. And that's what I want to talk about this morning is what, it, what submission is, what it looks like. Um, if, if you look in Matthew chapter 20, at the end, you know, we're not going to look so much at what James and John's mom was trying to do and all that kind of stuff, but this statement of Jesus at the end, verses 25 through 28, um, I'm just going to summarize. You can, you can turn there and look and make sure that I'm getting the gist of this correct, but... You know, Jesus is saying if you look around the world, the Gentile rulers rule with an iron fist, basically. They command, you will do this, and that makes me your ruler. And Jesus says, well, that's not how it is among you, meaning his disciples. It's not how you become the greatest or first in the kingdom. It's not because you command. It's because you are a servant. Right? And I will read verse 26 and 27. Jesus says, it is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Jane responded like a servant would respond. And that offends our sensibilities. Jane responded the way a slave would respond. No talk back to the master, right? A slave hears and does. That offends our sensibilities, right? I don't like that. Well, Jesus says, among disciples, that's what makes you great. And then he kind of ups the ante by saying, first. There's a difference between being great and first. Second place in the world is pretty great. But you're not first. And go talk to all those people this summer who won silver medals. And they're great. They're not first. And Jesus says if you'd be first, you'd be a slave. You know, we're, I would suggest to you that we're conditioned by the Gentiles around us, right? spiritually speaking. We're conditioned for this to offend us, this account of Joe and Jane. And yet I'm convinced when something like that happens, God looks down and says, finally, somebody gets it. Like it's a beautiful thing to him to see someone act the way his son acted, right, in the face of something that's unfair. In fact, Jesus said that's the mark of an excellent disciple, right? 
He doesn't say if you will be in the kingdom. He says if you'll be great in the kingdom or first in the kingdom. Right? You will be a servant to all or a slave to all. So how do we retrain ourselves? I mean, I'm assuming you were as offended or even more offended as I was at what happened there. Right? So I'm just going to make that assumption and say that you're coming along with me for the ride. Maybe you guys are all very noble-minded and you weren't, you're, you're not with me, but um, we're going to spend a few minutes looking at this in Scripture and see whether or not this is what Jesus was talking about. So how do we retrain ourselves then to be more like Jesus and less like the world or less like the Gentiles around us when it comes to submission? You know, Paul had some things to say about that in Philippians. If you want to turn over now to Philippians chapter 1, we'll read a few verses at the end of Philippians and go in to the first part of chapter 2. Beginning in Philippians 1, verse 27. Paul says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Now you might have noticed we didn't read the word submit or submission in that passage. Um, But I think the idea is very clearly expressed when Paul says, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Um, That's a hard thing to do, and we'll we'll get to the details of that, but I wanted to bring that out, out right off the bat. He says, make my joy complete, have the same purpose, be of the same mind. I I believe... All of that is summed up in verses 3 and 4, which is regard one another. That's what makes you the same, is when you regard one another as more important than yourselves, you're of the same mind. But anyway, we'll get to that in a second. I do want to make this point. This text is not concerned with your actual value. Okay? Um, we know from other texts how God views his creation. Right? And then each of us are equal in value to him. And each of us bear his image. We're not talking about who's actually more important or less important objectively. No one is. We have a king who's the most important, and then we are brethren. Right? That's the actual objective statement of value. 
And that's not what we're talking about here. Paul says, regard others as more important than yourself. It's kind of interesting. I find it kind of fascinating. This is one of those places where God is almost saying, ignore this truth that you're actually all equal. Like, don't really ignore it, but just set it aside and pretend that the people around you are more important than you. And once you pull that off, then you can serve each other like my son served you. He's not saying get into arguments about who's actually more important. He's saying regard other people as actually more important than you. So it starts in the mind. It starts with our perception. It starts with our attitude right, toward people. I also like the word here that's used for more important. It's used five times in the New Testament, and three of those times are in Philippians. The second time it's used, I want to look at that in, in chapter 3, verse 8. Turn over, just, it may be on the same opening, but if you look in Philippians 3, verse 8, Paul is he's talking about how valuable Christ is to him and how all these things, um, you know, of the flesh he counts as loss, right? And in verse 8 he says, More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. The exact same Greek word is used here for surpassing value. So now if you take that English translation back to chapter 2, right? Regard others as surpassing your own value. That's hard. I, I don't stand up here pretending that I'm saying something that's easy, and it's like, oh, good, I'll just go do that now. That's great. Everyone's value surpasses mine. Got it. This is hard, but I think the way Paul uses that word in the very next chapter when he's talking about how he views Christ, he's like, everything in my life is garbage compared to the surpassing value of knowing, not just the surpassing value of Christ, the surpassing value of just knowing Christ. He used that same word earlier and said that's how you need to look at your brethren. Not that they're Jesus, because he's not talking about the surpassing value of Jesus. He's talking about the surpassing value of knowing Jesus, being in the body. That surpassing value is in brethren. And that you, I need to regard you as surpassing my value. So there's a call to change in this text. Um, but I want to pause here just for a second and let what Jesus said in Matthew 20 and what Paul is saying here kind of sink in and, and, and coalesce. Um, there's not a statement, like as I said earlier, of actual value. But in both places, in Philippians, there's, there's a statement about how we think 
In Matthew, there's a statement about what we do. There's action. He who would be great in the kingdom must be servant. Not just regard self as a servant. Be servant of all. He who would be first in the kingdom must be slave of all. Not just regard yourself. Yeah, I'm a slave as soon as somebody asks me something, but I'm not going to go seek it out. I'm not going to go looking for ways to be a slave. Well, do you really think of yourself as a slave then? Or maybe you're just sitting back, you know, maybe Robin will think of himself as my slave, and man, and I just get to be master for a day, right? Because he's supposed to. <laughs> We like to project it on other people. Right? I can't wait for all you people to think of yourselves as my slave. That would be great. I got yard work. I got laundry. I got, man, I, I really need to mop the kitchen. I've, I've presented this in a way on purpose so that you think of yourself. Because what other people do and how they think of themselves has no impact on your responsibility for yourself. No one else in this room may consider themselves your servant or your slave. Ever. Not just today. They may never reach that point. It doesn't change what this text says to you and me right now. That we should. Right? And God is looking at us, right? Our relationship is with God. He says, this is what I've called for you to do. Accept it or rebel. That's our only two options. So there's a call for change. I want to make this point. Just a couple more points and we'll be done. Short lesson. This is not an academic exercise. Um, say, I'm going to do this for like an hour a week. Or I'm going to pick, you know, Saturdays. And I'll just go do whatever people tell me to do and I won't like it. But I'll do it because I'm supposed to be a slave. This is a way of living out the remainder of our lives. And I'm not suggesting that we're going to have this down pat when we walk out of this room, right? But what we do need to have down pat is that the call is there. It's in pretty simple English. And I even went back and looked at the Greek, and the Greek's not very confusing. I looked up servant, and it was diakonos, right, our word for deacon. I looked up slave, and it was doulos, which is slave, slave, bond servant. Like, you are bound to obey this person. There wasn't any way around it, right? I was looking to see, well, maybe he's using this figuratively. Well, he wasn't, right? This is what our mind is supposed to think. That part we can walk out of here pretty confident in. The hard part is, right, figuring out how to do it. But there is a call to change, to, to do that and be servant of all. So first of all, as I said in, from Philippians, we're being challenged to change your way of thinking first. That's always the hardest part. Well, for me, I'll just say that. For me, is the, I can change my actions and not change my heart very easily. That's easy. 
maybe for some people it's harder, but I mean, I can make my hands and my feet and my mouth do what I, I want it to do. And if I need to go serve you, I can serve you. But if I haven't changed my heart, I'm not actually regarding you as having surpassed my value. I've just totally bailed on Philippians completely if I don't change my heart. So that's the first step. I will warn you in this way, though. Do not wait to perform acts of service until you think you've got this fully figured out. You'll never get there. Work on your mind and at the same time say, all right, I'm going to learn this servant business by being a servant. Your mind will be strengthened in your actions, right? Because when you're engaged in the actions, you're going to be fighting that temptation to say, this person can do this. Why am I doing this? Somebody else can do this. Why am I the only one doing this? Right? Those are battles you need to fight. I need to fight. We need to fight those battles. We'll never fight them if everything is an academic exercise in our head. Well, I imagine myself serving Angela. Yeah, okay, that wouldn't be too hard. Great. Now I'm a servant. (laughs) No. Okay. So work on your perception of others. Work on how you regard them, that they really are more valuable than you. But don't think you have to have that perfected in your mind before you go serve people. Marry the two. The action and the thinking. So, I'm going to conclude the lesson by asking you three questions. That if nothing else kind of sticks with you, that you'll ask yourself these questions later today, later this week. Think about these questions. What tools will you use to trigger yourself to think about others more? Just start there. If you already don't think about other people, it's going to be really hard for you to think about them as more having more value than you. You need to start thinking about others more to even get off the ground. Um, some things I thought of, right, were like when I sit down to a meal, This is, and I, I know this is crazy. This sounds so simplistic, but this is my engineering head, okay? When I sit down to a meal, I think about, you know what? I have to eat to survive. So do all my brethren. I wonder if they have enough. Most people do, right? Well, I wonder if they have to eat alone. I wonder if they would enjoy my company. I wonder if they would enjoy my hospitality if I invited them over and I could serve them. Right? So that example is, is, is a very specific example of a more generic one like Think about your everyday tasks. When you go to do an everyday task, when you get in your car and crank it up, say, man, I wonder if my brethren have good running cars. I wonder if this is like a a burden on them constantly. If anyone is bearing up under the burden of like they're driving down the road and it could die at any minute, that would be really stressful, right? So one way is just use everyday things that you do and say, my brethren are doing something like this too. Is there a way I can serve them in that? Okay, simple example. I'm sure there's a million different ways to trigger 
us to think about our brethren. Second question. This one is upping the ante. Are you prepared to ask God for opportunities to show him how much you value his children? I've done that, and he's answered it, and I didn't have fun. I'm just being honest. Life as a human on this earth gets ugly and complicated and messy. And if you're going to bear someone's burden, it's not going to be rainbows and butterflies. Well, maybe those are burdens for some people. People who live in Seattle, they just want to see clouds. I don't know. But you understand what I'm saying. It's not a burden to bear someone and say, hey, I want to go for a bike ride today. Oh, good, I'm serving you. I'm going to go for a bike ride with you because I ride my bike 25 miles a day anyway. Do you see what I'm saying? So if you go to God and you pray to Him, you say, God, give me some opportunities to show you how much I value your children. Prepare yourself for what you're asking for. Be sober about what you're asking for. Because if you're just praying, saying, oh, give me an opportunity, and you've got some vision in your mind that it's going to be this great, joyful, pleasant thing, right? Well, then this ugly, nasty thing shows up on your doorstep, and you're like, I'm not doing that. I didn't ask for that. Well, yeah, you did. It's just your picture of what that is isn't what God's picture of what that is. Right? So I'm not saying don't pray for those things. But I'm saying know what you're praying for when you pray for those things. Um, Again, I'll just tell you from personal experience. You grow in your love for your brethren when you go through those ugly, nasty, burdensome, toilsome things with them. And they need somebody to go through those things with. And that's why you weren't taken to heaven the minute you were baptized. That's why you're here. Right? Okay, so I said that was the harder question. Right? The third one's the hardest, I think. It's the last one. What are you going to do today that demonstrates to God your attitude I'm assuming you've already, you're working on the attitude part. What are you going to do today that demonstrates to God your attitude that others are more important than you are? I'm not going to go into that because you've got to figure that out. Okay. I think if we can work on these things, we didn't even talk about the word submit or submission very much, but these things right here, that is submission. That's submitting to one another. So if you need prayers, if you need someone, if you need a brother or sister to talk to about this or about salvation or about anything spiritual, um, that's the purpose of the song that Robin's about to lead us in is to give you some time to think about what it is you need, some, you need help with and talk to someone. Talk to me, talk to Josh, talk to the person next to you. Say, I need to talk about this. And you know, don't... Don't leave here thinking, man, I didn't have an opportunity. 
because you do right now. Let's stand and sing. Four by four.